That sermon bumper is a reminder, again, as I said earlier, that we are entering into the Lottie Moon Christmas season. It's a big, big time for us as Southern Baptists as we collectively gather together to send out, to fund, and to pray for missionaries. In your bulletin, if you grabbed one this morning, there's a prayer guide. I hope that you'll take that out. I hope that you'll take it home. Hope that you'll every day for the next eight days pray over those emphases that are there. As you see on the screen, we get to pray for 7,283 unreached people groups. Back up one more for me if you could. Back to that last slide, please. Uh, we get to pray for the missionaries that are sending the gospel every day. 4.5 billion unreached people. 155,000 people dying daily without Jesus Christ. Let us get our brains and our hearts and our prayers around the emphasis of reaching this world with the gospel. So uh, be praying about that. Be praying about your offering. Uh, ready for the next slide. We definitely also want to give you an update as we are coming down the final stretch in our next steps giving. Uh, this month of December, we're praying to pay off our uh, current debt on the children's building and preschool remodel. We've come a long, long ways. We've taken a bunch of steps for a number of years, and we are right there at the finish line. We've given nearly $170,000 above and beyond our offerings in the last month. Is that not spectacular and incredible? God bless you for your faithfulness. Uh, you are a giving church, and we're never more like God than when we give. And so I just want to say to you, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for helping us to keep accomplishing the vision of reaching the next generation. We have 84,000 more dollars to go, our prayer, and I hope you'll pray over that as well as that we would kick that out by the end of this year. Pray about your part with that. Well, today we kick off a new sermon series. It is the Christmas season. And so every week of December now, we'll be focusing in on a Christmas sermon series. And I want to remind you, next week, we have not done the Lord's Supper on Sunday mornings. Usually we've done that on Sunday nights. We will be celebrating in both services next Sunday morning the Lord's Supper for this Christmas season. I invite you to be back for that this next Sunday and to worship with us and to remember why he was born. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you a sermon series to hopefully help you as we've been in our theme of being one-on-one -on -one with God and reaching someone with the gospel. It is a great season to have fresh new God conversations with someone who needs to know about Jesus, and we can do that through discovering why Jesus was born. A great tool that exists is your story, telling God's story through your story. And we teach you that all year long, and many of you have been doing that, and we're hearing great stories about people that are coming to faith because you've been telling God's story through your story. Well, what if this December we told God's story through the story of the nativity? I bet just about everyone in this room has a nativity that you set up during Christmas time. And if you don't, I'm going to encourage you to go get one and set one up this year. It is a powerful tool, a great opportunity to be able to share the gospel. So we're going to look at building the nativity scene one piece at a time. And as you put that nativity set together, or as you're with your family, or if you are even having a friend over to your home for the holidays, you could point to some of the pieces and the pieces of the story that point to God's story. When I mention the word nativity, you automatically think, everybody in the world, when you say the word nativity, they think of a manger scene with a baby Jesus lying in a manger. That birth that happened over 2,000 years ago changed all of human history and even defined the word nativity. 
Where do we get that word nativity? You might think it's just a Christmas term, and it's a term that relates to the manger, but by definition, the word nativity literally means the occasion of a person's birth. That's why we call it the nativity. It is picturing the birth of God who took on flesh to take on your sin. The nativity, it is a beautiful picture and a great visual to help talk to people about who God is and why he was born. When I was growing up, I was always drawn to the nativity sets. We had them in our house, and uh, I remember my grandma Hulses. I remember going and visiting her in Tulsa, and I remember this set that she had brought back from Germany as she used to travel the world, and, and I always loved playing with those little pieces and putting it together, and I remember that was one of the biggest things I looked forward to. Just even as a little kid, I was drawn to that story. And when Cammie and I started dating in high school, we were uh, walking around downtown square. Back, remember when towns had downtown squares? And all the store shop fronts were all lit up for Christmas. And we were going around. I'd just become a Christian. i just found who Christ was. The one who was born in a manger was born in my heart. And I was fresh, and I was on fire for God. And we're walking through downtown Enid. It was cold. It seems like there was snow kind of falling down. One of those Hallmark movie moments. And and there we, there we came across this storefront with the most beautiful nativity scene I've ever seen. That's a picture of one of them. That's not how it was laid out in the storefront. But those are the pieces. That's made by Beam China. It's called the Spirit of Bethlehem. And they had it all decorated with snow all on the floor and this beautiful, huge stable. And it was just gloriously decorated. And I looked at that picture and my heart just leapt as I remembered how much God loved me. That God so loved me, he sent his son not on a stallion as the king of kings who comes riding in and lords over creation but sent him as sweet baby jesus as i looked at that picture that has always been something that has captured my heart before i was even saved and you can use that picture to help somebody else's heart connect with jesus this christmas over the years, we've collected those pieces, and now we keep those pieces in our home, in our living room, all year long. You say, that's only for Christmas. No, it's to remind me that God so loved me, he became flesh and became the payment for our sin. But our children today are growing up without the nativity. They're growing up without the story. You know, when we were growing up, how many of you remember being in school pageants, Christmas pageants, and reenacting the Christmas story? That was just part of growing up in America, and now today that is forbidden. You can't do that. Matter of fact, today you can't even show Charlie Brown Christmas because it reads from the scriptures. And there are all kinds of lawsuits who've come against schools because they wanted to show the Charlie Brown Good grief, Charlie Brown Good grief, America. What has happened? And we have a generation growing up boycotting the nativity. In 2020, in Iowa, Centerville, Iowa, there was a 30-minute council meeting over whether they could have their nativity scene in their town square. Now, I don't know how well you can see the picture here. This is one of the councilmen that after the 30-minute discussion... They had to explain to their city because of one voice, one protest, one atheist, they would not be able to have a nativity scene because of the separation so-called of church and state. And after they went through that 30-minute bogus council meeting, 
the new council members, this one being one, was sworn into office. Can you see his hand right there at the bottom? Swearing in on the Bible. The hypocrisy, the craziness of the day and age in which we live, when everything pointing to Jesus is boycotted and everything else is embraced. Well, today, while it may not be popular in the town square, it certainly can be a part of our story. It can be a part of our homes. It can be a part of our Christmas. And we can share God's story through the nativity. So let's take a look at it. And I want to, each week, focus on a different piece of the nativity and let the story come alive through their stories. Well, let's take a look. The first thing we're going to do, the story actually begins, a lot of people might turn to Luke chapter 2 as you read that during the holidays. I would encourage you to turn back to the birth story beginning in Genesis. You may not have thought about that. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Way before 2,000 years ago, go all the way back to the beginning of human history. The birth of Jesus didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It wasn't God's reaction to man's sin. No, before the foundation of the world, it was predetermined that God would send his son. That God would send a savior to the world. We read about it, Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Adam and Eve have given up their dominion over the earth. Created in the image of God, holy and perfect without sin, they invited sin into the human equation. God warned them that if they ate from the tree of evil, when they invited evil in, evil would only kill, that the wages of that decision would be death. And now we all live under that indictment. The Lord then dealt out consequences. In verse 14, he speaks into the serpent. He said, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock, more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will make enemies of you and the woman, and of her, underline this, offspring. Of her offspring and her, look at the next word, descendant. Her descendant, capital D. Speaking of the fact that there would be a divine offspring, one that God would send to crush the control and the will of the enemy. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That we see is the first picture of the nativity. That there would be one born of the woman, that there would be a descendant who would come, that God would send to deliver us from the wages of sin. It was also prophesied that it was foretold Micah chapter 5, you don't have to turn there because it would take you way too long. <laughs> Micah chapter 5, verse 2, let me help you out and I'll put it on the screen, look at it. That is for you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, to little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will come forth, for me to be a ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago and from the days of all eternity. Genesis God said, I'm sending one. In Micah, he reminded the people there is one that is coming, one who's existed for all of eternity that would be born into this world. He would come through the clan of Judah in the town of Bethlehem. There you have your nativity. We can look at the genesis of the story. We can see the story foretold. Now go to Luke chapter 2, the classic gospel, and let's take a look at the nativity as it's being built. Luke chapter 2, 
verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Government again playing its role during the holiday season. Now you find their government uh, wanting to make sure they're getting enough taxes out of the people. And so it is ordered among the land that everyone is to return to their nativity, to return to their birthplace, to register that they're still alive and they still owe those taxes. And so we find everyone returning back to their nativity. Remember the word nativity means the occasion of your birth. They go back to report, and we get to verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David. Underline that phrase, the city of David. We're going to come back to it. He reported to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. As we look in on the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, you might just read that as factual information. You might just see that as the GPS coordinates of God taking Joseph and Mary to the prophesied Micah, prophesied Bethlehem. But there's more to it there, the city of David. In Isaiah, you can write it down, Isaiah 11.1, 1, we are told that this one, this descendant of uh, Eve would be sent and he would be from the line of Jesse the father of King David for it says in Isaiah 11 1 a shoot would come up from the stump of Jesse and his roots a branch that would bear great fruit and the spirit of the Lord would rest upon him a prophecy of the coming one Jeremiah 23 5 through 6 talks about in the days that are coming declares the Lord I will raise up for David a righteous branch a king, capital K, who will reign wisely, do what is right, what is just in the land. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Reaffirming that Jesus would be from the line of King David, 2 Samuel 7, we see that it was told and prophesied that when our days are over and you rest with your fathers, speaking to David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. I will raise up one whose own body will establish a kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Bethlehem wasn't just a unique city. It was a divine appointment. It was prophesied in Micah. It was prophesied in Isaiah that there would be this one who would come, a divine one, not just another prophet, not just another man, but the holy descended one. The holy God who would take on flesh. And it would happen in a very unique place called Bethlehem, the city of David. Look at verse 6. Back in Luke 2 now, verse 6. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. As we start to bring out that nativity set every year we always start with the stable you always start with the manger and that isn't what you would think if you were building a story about this king that was going to rule and reign forever this one that would be born in Bethlehem where are kings born palaces they're born in the the, the ivory towers if you will they're born in luxury 
and we should be setting up big old castles. And yet we set up a stable. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Just starting with the stable alone, it's a great part of the story to tell to someone else that God so loved you and me, he's willing to humble himself. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve us. He came to lay down his life. And yes, while he is a king, he came in lowly manner. It is a beautiful picture of who God is. So as you set up that first piece, you put in that manger, we see the shocker. This is not a place for a king to be mourned. It's a reminder of God's love for us. And then it's a reminder, how did they end up in the stable? Well, in comes the innkeeper. You don't usually see that piece in the story, but it's good to talk about. I've never seen a nativity where they had the innkeeper celebrated. He's kind of the bad guy, isn't he? I mean, here's this pregnant woman that's come all this way. I'm sure that helped induce labor a little bit on that donkey all those miles. And now she rolls into town and she's ready to give birth and he has no room, no place. His place is packed out. We look at that story and he gets a bad rap. But you got to remember, Bethlehem is a small itty-bitty town. It was a place usually thought of as insignificant. They weren't full of hotels and lodging points. It wasn't like a Branson vacation. It was a little old town that just raised sacrificial lambs for the sacrificial system of Jerusalem. And as everybody reported back, all of a sudden, there was this huge population explosion and no place for anyone to lay their head. And everybody else got there before Mary and Joseph. As we look in on this, and we always hear, oh, the innkeeper who told him, there's no room for you here. And there's people today who say, I've got no room for Jesus here. We could pick on the innkeeper all day long. The reality was the reality. But here's what I see in the innkeeper that I don't want to miss. I hope you don't miss it either. He did have one thing left. He did have a stable. He could have rented that out. He still could have made money off of that. He still had one thing left. Yes, was that appropriate to be a birthing place for a child? Maybe not the most appropriate, but here's my point. He did give what he had. It may seem insignificant. It may not seem like much, but it's all that he had, and he still gave it. I would encourage you this Christmas season that as you're processing who God is in your life, as you're processing your response to the God who created you, the God who died for you, the God who was born in a manger, the God who went to a cross just for you, what your response might be this Christmas, I would tell you, just do this. Do what the innkeeper did. Show up and simply give him what you got. You say, well, I don't have much. I, and I'm not talking about money to an offering. I'm not talking about next steps. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about the stewardship of your life and your story. Give it back to God. Didn't look like much, and it seemed so insignificant, and yet he surrendered it all in that moment. Would we be willing to do the same? Or will we make excuses? Or will we chase a dollar? Or will we chase the gifts of Christmas and not the gift of Christmas? What are your excuses? Well, that's not much. How could God use something like that? Well, God used a filthy, stinky manger and used it for his glory. If God can do that with a little old stable, what can he do with little old you and little old me? Why don't you give him a shot? Why don't you give him an opportunity? So let's go to the second piece. You can hold your place in Luke, but I want to take you over to Matthew's account. Go to Matthew now, Matthew chapter 1. And I want to look at the next piece. We, we now, if we put up the stable, 
The next piece we start to put in is Mary. We go with Mary, the mother, who was ready to bear this child. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, I want to focus in on her life quickly. It says that it was now the birth of Jesus Christ. His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 is critical and key. Points out that they were not uh, immoral. They didn't just love each other and have a love child. They loved each other, but they were betrothed to one another, but she was a virgin. She would become impregnated by the Holy Spirit. You say, how does that happen? We get to talk about that with God in all of eternity. I'll let him explain it. But he did it. Because if, Ad, or if Joseph had impregnated her, it would have been man's sin continued to be procreated. It was through the sin of Adam that sin is passed on to the human generation. It would be the Holy Spirit that would deliver us from the sin of Adam by giving us a new Adam. Verse 19, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, we'll talk about him in a week or two, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He wanted to protect her because in that day, if a woman came up pregnant outside of marriage, she could be stoned to death. Joseph, a righteous man, wanted to protect her, was going to send her away. And we considered this, an angel appeared to him, and you know this part of the story, and spoke into Joseph's life and explained the whole gospel in this, that God was sending forth this holy descendant, this holy one, and that they were to have this son, and they were to call his name Jesus. Why? Look at verse 21. For he will save his people from their sins. I dare you to ask one person this year, why was Jesus born? And I would take them to this verse. Let me show you one verse in Scripture. We looked at this in church the other day, and it blew me away. This is why Jesus was born, so that he could save his creation from our sins. Did you ever know that? Or is he just sweet baby Jesus? There was a reason he was born. And it was prophesied or, or spoken into Joseph's life. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall bear the child. His name, Emmanuel. You might even ask a follow-up question. You know why they say his name was Emmanuel? Do you know what Emmanuel means? What's it mean? God with us. It's not just a great name for a Baptist church. It's not just a name that we read in Scripture. It has meaning. It means not a man was born, God was born. God left his throne in heaven and took on a new throne. It was a baby in a manger. He came to this earth to save us from our sin. But let's take a look, verse 24. For Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary, his wife, kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and called his name Jesus. As we look in, we see the importance of understanding it was a virgin birth. We've already highlighted that. Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child. That's not natural. That, that doesn't make sense. A woman can't have a child unless she has a man. Unless there's a divine one. A divine descendant. His name, Emmanuel. So why Mary? Why out of all the ladies in the land, why Mary? Well, let me just attribute a couple things about her story that play into this story. I believe Mary was able to be used of God in this story, in this moment, because she was 
pure and dedicated unto the Lord. She was a virgin. She could have sought men's love. She could have sought her own desires. She could have sought to be protected by a man. She could have sought what other girls in her town had. She was committed to a holy God and to live a holy testimony. And because she was a virgin, she was eligible to be used by God in the story. She didn't compromise. She didn't go after her own desires. Her desire was to be pleasing to the Lord through a life of purity, a virgin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Look at this next picture. Can you imagine that moment? As Mary not understanding, I've never been with a man and yet I'm pregnant. I'm on this donkey all the way to Bethlehem. Why me? Why God? Doesn't make sense. And yet, as Jesus is born in this world, she would be the very first one to see God in the flesh. Blessed are the pure in heart. As you think about the nativity this year, as you see that representation of the story in Mary, let your heart be drawn to a life of purity. For God could use you just as he used Mary. God chooses those who are pure in heart. That word pure means unmixed. It doesn't mean perfect. It just means unmixed. The Samaritans, why were they so hated by the Jews? When the Jews were exiled because of conquering nations, there were certain Jews that were left behind in the land. And over the years, they married the world pagans. They mixed in with unbelievers. And when the Jews were turned back, they saw them as sellouts, mixed up, mixed in people, and they segregated and had prejudice against them because they were no longer pure. And you can say, well, that's prejudice. You can say it's that, but it was a picture. And that's what's being pictured here is the battle in our hearts, whether to remain pure unto the Lord, virgin in our dedication, if you will, or will we adulterate our walk with God by chasing after other lovers? Mary is a beautiful picture of purity. And we're out of time, but I want to give you just real quickly, write these verses down. Psalm 119, verse 7. The psalmist said, I'll give you thanks, Lord, with an upright heart, a pure heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I'll keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I've sought. You do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. When I look at the stable, I see a humble beginning. I see a God who so loved me. He didn't come to be a king just to, to be worshipped and to be served. He came to serve me, and he came as a lowly baby in a manger. When I see Mary, I'm reminded that uh, to be used by God, to be a servant of the Lord, to give him glory, it comes from a life, a pure heart. So this Christmas season, may it be your desire to also have that testimony like Mary, to keep his word. How do we have that pure testimony? Three things. I'll put it up fast. You can write them down. Number one, keep his word. Number two, through God's power. He goes on and says, God, don't let me wonder. He, under, he understood that he couldn't keep his way pure, but God could. It's through God's power every day. Let God fill you with this power that you might have that pure testimony like Mary. 
And number three, in verse 11, it says, and that we would treasure his word. Not just keep it legalistically, not do's and don'ts, but to treasure it. The gift that God's word is, that lamp to our path. So let's make sure that we are pure in our hearts. Let's make sure that we are pure in our conversations. For the Bible says, whatever we do in word or deed, let it be pure and bring glory to God. Let us be pure in our dealings and the interactions we have with people. Let us be pure in our thoughts, for as a man thinks, so he will be. And let us be pure in our motives, that we're really there desiring to serve a holy God. I close with this last verse. I do want everybody to turn to this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. As we think on Mary's testimony, blessed are the pure in heart, for they see the Lord. She got to see something very few people would ever see. But you have that same opportunity. In 2 Timothy, Paul equipping young Timothy says, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness, to live a life of purity, unmixed, not mixing with wicked things. Verse 20. Then he gives a picture. He says, in a large house, there are all kinds of vessels, gold and silver. Some are vessels of wood and earthenware, some for honor and some for dishonor. What would be honorable vessels? Well, those were things that were used to feed the family, to serve people as they were in your home. What would be the dishonorable? Uh, how about the toilet bowl brush? That's a vessel. That's an instrument. Both are needed in the household. Some are the fine china that you would place out and that pure that picture of purity and 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 something that is honorable and then there's dishonorable verse 21 therefore if anyone cleanses himself from these things he or she will be a vessel for honor sanctified and underline the next phrase get this this christmas useful to the master one of my passions for this christmas season is that I wouldn't be worried about the gifts of Christmas, the season of Christmas, the gathering of Christmas, the festivities of Christmas, but that I would not lose the focus of saying, Lord, I simply want to be useful to you, my master. I want to be a servant like Mary. I want to be useful unto you, prepared for every good work. Verse 22, so watch the conclusion. If that's you, you want to be useful to the master? Look at verse 22. Flee from your youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace with those who call on the Lord from a, what's that word? Pure heart. You want to be useful? Mary never saw it coming. But because she remained pure, because she protected her heart, she didn't mix it with wicked things. She became a useful instrument to the master. The innkeeper didn't have much, but he gave what he had. Mary, a simple girl, but a pure testimony. And God used both of them for his glory. Would you let God use you this Christmas? Would you be useful to the master? Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. The nativity, the birth of a savior not the birth of another prophet not the birth of a new religion 
birth of Emmanuel, God with us. And what we know from Scripture is that God came to be with us, take on the flesh to be one of us so he could die for the sin of all of us. And that those who call on his name, the name of Jesus, can be saved from their sin. But it isn't just an intellectual awareness. It isn't just a knowledge that Jesus died. Jesus was born in a manger. Jesus is the Savior of the world. It has got to be not just God with us. It's got to be God in us, for it's with the heart man believes. And so if he's still just Emmanuel, God with you, but not God in you, you need Jesus. You need to be saved. So how do I do that? You call on his name. The Bible says, whoever will call on his name, they shall be saved. You can be saved right now. In this very place, if you're worshiping online, God will save you right where you are. If you've already received him, he's not just Emmanuel, God with you. He is Jehovah. He is Jesus He is the Christ. He is the Savior of your life. He is in you. Celebrate that in this moment. But then ask God to use you this Christmas. Say, Lord, I want to be useful to you, the Master. And if there's anything you've been mixing into your story, anything that is unholy in this moment, the Bible says we can confess that as sin. And God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all of those things. Maybe there's a need for repentance in the room. Maybe there's a need for surrender and say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Maybe you need a church family. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. Whatever you need. We've prayed over this altar. It's your turn to respond to what God is saying. Father, draw your people this morning. Draw us to repentance. Draw us to salvation. Draw us to obedience just like the innkeeper and just like Mary. May we be found useful to you, our Lord, our Master, our King. For we ask it in Jesus' name.